As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's almost over the weekend, but it's during the international break, and therefore we're going to just be answering questions, talking a little bit about uh, soccer affairs around the world. And I guarantee you, some people have already turned off because I use that term. Uh, with Chris Hennage, good to have you, Chris. Good to be here. And of course, with Nico Morales, live from Orlando, Florida. Live, live here from Adam Boltwood's future location. Adam Boltwood, indeed, uh, although I'm not sure we're allowed to say this is going to Orlando at some point. Um, we can't tell you when or exactly where, but we think it'll be soon. And uh, definitely one of the theme parks. He's that kind of guy. Anyway, it's the international break, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, so should we talk a little bit, guys, about what's going on uh, just before recording tonight? England won 1-0 in the end, thanks to a very late Harry Kane winner. Not a particularly outstanding um, performance from England, but Chris, it means that they are now World Cup bound. Yeah, and I think it was Daniel's story um, that put the stat that they're unbeaten in 39 qualifiers or something mad like that, Yeah, um, which is the longest record in the world. I mean, you could argue it's a microcosm or a great way to, to portray their issue, which is you know, a comfortable qualification, but a, an atrocious tournament performance. I think, and I'm sure we'll get into this in greater depth at different points, but it was a very mediocre performance. And, and at that point, I think you have to criticise everyone. You criticise the players because I don't think they really know what they're, they're doing as, as a team. They're all individuals. And you criticise Southgate because there was nothing about him to suggest that he would be this wonderful manager. And, and that statement has been, I think, reinforced by performance. Yeah, it's a bit of an unusual, really, isn't it? Because you, you look um, at all of the ingredients in this England team and you think there should be something more there than they're currently putting together. But for some reason, because of the low expectations, maybe, um, 
what's going on is it almost seems normal. There's there's an, an almost kind of placid acceptance of what's going on around England at the moment, which I find quite unusual, Chris, because, you know, they've got Harry Kane up front, who people are comparing excitedly to anyone who's, you know, above an 88 rating on FIFA. They've got um, the, the likes of... Um, actually, this is a good one. Uh, Rashford, um, they've got... Uh, who else they have? Um, they have Jordan Henderson in midfield, captain, of course, of Liverpool. They've got um, the young guys coming on like Jess Lingard, who's obviously becoming more and more exciting for teams like Manchester United. They have Kyle Walker, they have Ryan Bertrand, they have John Stones, they have Eric Dyer. Uh, obviously, Deli Alley is also somewhere in that squad. Uh, you know, it, it gets more exciting. And obviously, people like Daniel Sturridge and even Jermaine Defoe, I think, within this squad as well. Yeah, so, I mean, look, it's not a bad collection of players. Um, I sometimes think that's one of the misnomers about England is that the, the the standard or the quality has dropped since the days of schools and um, ints and people like that. The, the difference is, and, and I saw a few people make this same point on Twitter, that when you actually watch them, it, it seems as if, firstly, there isn't a, a clear leader in that group. There isn't someone standing above the parapet taking control. And I think things like Kyle Walker taking an attacking free kick outside the box kind of highlight that because it seems like everyone is trying to to have that moment to do their thing. And so really, at that point, it, it does become 11 blocks that have just met in the car park. It's not a cohesive team in which player X has this role, player Y has that role. And that's that's where I think the confusion almost comes for fans and, and pundits alike is... This collection of players is clearly not a bad group of players because, you know, they, they influence the Premier League week on week. Yes, they're not always the greatest players in their teams, but they're, they're influential. The difference is when they get together, it's not that the quality drops significantly. It's that I don't always think that they really know what they're doing and, and they understand what those around them are doing either. I think you look at Jordan Henderson's a, a good example of that. He's someone that, that doesn't, to me, have a clearly defined role. I think Henderson is told to sort of move the ball very quickly and, uh, you know, get into positions which are almost uh, conservative. At least, at least that's what it looks mm-hmm. like. And then there's players ahead. I mean, he's also got Eric Dyer on the side. I mean, it's sort of unusual because the problem for Henderson is he sort of has become the next generation of um, Owen Hargreaves, th- those sort of players where he doesn't do... I mean, he does a lot of he does a lot of things to a very good level, Um and could do something exceptionally, but has never been deployed in that way. Yeah, and and I think um, watching Raheem Sterling as well tonight, I, th- I thought, and I'm, I must confess, I only really saw the most of the first half and little bits of the second half. I thought he looked very lost, and I think, it, I mean, I think in general, to be to be quite frank, playing him against a team like uh, Slova- uh, Slovenia, excuse me, who are going to sit very deep, who are going to stay compact. I'm not sure what the benefit is there because Sterling is, is someone that's going to want to run at people and there's just not space for him to run into. So very often he was getting it in central areas and being swarmed and trying to dribble his way out of trouble and and just uh, turning over the ball. So it's, it's things like that that I find a little bit bizarre. And I mean, you could extrapolate that out even further. I th- think you look at someone like uh, John Joe Shelby he was talked about as as maybe if the stars align if he keeps consistent being a member of the England squad and the the, the, the you know the looks of derision that followed that 
I can't. I personally, I don't think that that's a, a terrible suggestion because I don't think really there's anyone, maybe by Danny Drinkwater, that offers the kind of skills that he's got. And and too often, I do think we look at it a little bit like name brand shopping and say, okay, well, we have to have Henderson and Dyer in there because they're I mean, great. I, I agree. But do but they complement what we need? But but well, maybe because maybe uh, you maybe the, 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 it seems like Gareth Southgate is picking players who can play. Weirdly, in a sort of pass and move system on a very basic level, uh, Nico, I know you didn't watch it tonight, but I mean, you know, there's a difference to Raheem Sterling this season. The confidence that he exudes when he plays for Manchester City is something which is very exciting for not only England fans, but probably just fans watching the Man City project evolving. And then he goes and plays for England and suddenly it looks like he doesn't have those options on. And part of, someone tweeted, I can't remember who it was tweeted tonight, but they said, you know, funny how... Uh, you know, Sterling suddenly doesn't look as good when he plays for England. And I thought, well, he's a, no one's really given him the options that he normally gets at Man City, is are they? You know, no one seems to be making those kind of movements. And it's unusual because actually, uh, you know, I know we talk about some of the team's parts, but it's almost like when you put these guys together and you don't give them a system to fit into, then, I don't know, something... They almost, they're almost, they almost get sapped of their inspiration when they seem to go on the England tour. Or maybe the, there is, again, a, this. what's unusual is we've taken out of um, the English press the sort of very barbed um, criticism that most people used to go for. And we've sort of gone for a more veiled passive aggression towards England or even apathy, which at this point it really doesn't help the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Uh, a lot of what you guys are saying is correct, and Thank the you. difficulty with Eng- uh, the difficulty with the the English squad, I think in particular, is that is exactly that in the sense that that Chris, Chris mentioned that he said, you know, it is almost like eleven individuals, and to some extent, I think Gareth Southgate has an extremely difficult job because a lot of these really talented players like Raheem Sterling and Deli Ali and and different guys from Chelsea and and Tottenham and Manchester City and Manchester United, they're all doing things that are uh, in their systems that are extremely difficult. Uh, diff- from a tactical perspective. So the coolest thing that I've seen from Raheem Sterling and the greatest evolution of his game, um, I think that I've seen as a Manchester City fan, is the fact that he's being used more centrally, sort of as a, uh, almost exclusively as an off-ball player in some games, where he, you know, Pep Guardiola is using his intelligence, and that's really what he saw in the player in the first place, was his ability to make intelligent runs through the middle of the park, and his quickness and, and his uh, you know, fast passing ability accentuates is or are accentuated. Those qualities are, are accentuated by the Manchester City system. You know, you have wide players that Raheem Sterling maybe isn't so much of anymore, and he can make a, a greater impact centrally. But then when he joins the English national team, I think a lot of the time people only see him as, as that winger that, that that can put in a cross, and they they only see certain players doing certain things. Um, where you know in their in their club teams and their club systems, they're being used to you know a, a so much uh, different uh, roles than they are in the, in the national team, and that Gareth, Gareth Southgate, Southgate can use them in the national team. So in that sense, I think also the the national team struggles from you know the 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 very thing that uh, someone like Antonio Conte in charge of the Italian national team got right is the thing that uh, the national team gets wrong because they're they're not taking oftentimes they're not taking the the twenty two or twenty four twenty six 
best individuals. They're taking the best group of individuals that can that can you know uh, perpetuate a tactical idea in a in a tournament where you need to have things down pat before you even go. And I think uh, oftentimes they can you know we need one player from Everton, we need one player from Manchester United because there's this like sense of we need a representation of our club in the national team when it's never a good team of, of people. That is interesting, isn't it, Chris? I mean, I, Nico has maybe said something that a lot of English people are failing to see right now which is that this is a team that feels very much like it's built like some sort of, by some sort of beige committee and maybe it's because we see the representation of that committee as Gareth Southgate at the very top but um, what Conte did was have a, a very um, bold philosophy a very um, inspiring idea and it gave the players when they went on international duty something very clear and defined that they knew they had to fit into whereas it seems very much uh, for Gareth uh, Southgate as if when the players go away for and uh, again I've not been inside the camp so I don't know but from the end product what we're seeing is something which almost looks as if he's he's saying well you know how can we meld all these players together it doesn't look as if the, and I can't just put this on Gareth Southgate because there's a big coaching team for England and obviously even wider analysts, but sets of people saying like, well, you know, we, we need these guys to do their magic. You know, it needs, a, I think Nico, you were tweeting the other day about moments which can set us apart. And ultimately, again, it yeah. came down to, again, one of those moments where as a, as a, you can see it coming out of, you know, an Ian Wright's mouth or someone like that saying, well, it was a moment of magic, wasn't it, Ian? Well, it was a moment of magic, yeah, Adrian, and it was it was a fantastic moment. And you know, get, get, uh, you know, he's he's been he's been making these moments for ages, and then we just sort of get into the same old analysis. Yeah, and I think maybe just to speak to that, I think well, people that we hear the phrase that you know a player is confident right and i think the the most consistent thing that i hear from players that are interviewed about their experience with pep guardiola is that they are confident in their ability and they're secure in the job that they need to do for the team because guardiola in his training sessions is so meticulous and he and the the consistency that i hear is that you know he we know exactly what what we need to do in every situation on the field if you are given a very direct and understood game plan every single player on the pitches uh, as you go out there then there's no reason for you to feel uncomfortable in higher high pressure situations because you've been mapped out by the very person that's supposed to be telling you what to do to do in those situations and i think that's why that's part of the coaching philosophy that he implements so well is that these players can be confident in their ability to do things because they understand what to do as opposed to and maybe different coaching methods work with different players and other players can survive or thrive with more freedom in in what they're allowed to do but i i often feel like so for example i think in the past year or maybe in the world cup or in the euros like it was like you said it's a beige committee it's like okay well we have to play kane Sturridge and Rooney because we can't exclude any of them but it doesn't make any sense to play any all of those players at the same time it's like they're afraid to drop these players because they need this sense of representation when in actuality maybe some of them don't even belong to they don't need to be there not that they're not good enough to be part of the squad but there is a more uh, clear and cohesive idea from the players that you can gather to make a counter-attacking team and maybe you just take Kane and Kane and Vardy and maybe you just play one of them in certain situations. There, yeah. there, it's, it's, a, it's a sense like there's no coherent idea because people don't want to side with one club. Because if they do, then it's like, oh, well, are they biased? 
Are they going with, you know, the, the experiences that they had in their career? It's just so backwards. And people are afraid to come across with the genuine idea that you see them going out to Iceland. That you see them going on the group stage. It, it is like, also, it, it, you know, there is, there is something that seems fairly uh, clear to just around this, uh, again, sort of Beijing-England conversation off. Um, Chris, uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain started for England tonight. Uh, and people, or last night, we whenever you're listening, people said this is a great opportunity for him to prove himself. Uh, and he, he had it. He had a bad game. He kicked, kicked a bottle when he uh, went off. Didn't didn't particularly make the impact that maybe he would have wanted to. Met, mind you, not many England players did um, against Slovenia. But it, it might show that Gareth Southgate is going on somewhat of the merits of what he looks for in a player, rather than the form or you know the sort of the, the reputation that people come with. Because it, it's quite clear right now that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's reputation is very much sort of. Uh, a negative one, at least in London, where there's a lot of Arsenal fans kind of, you know, oh, they've won a lot of games since he left, as if he as if he was the only sole factor in that happening before anyway. I think it was Capello that said form didn't influence his selections, which I think is a maddening way to look at things. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, by the same token, I'm not an advocate of of calling up someone just because they're performing. I think, again, it has to go back to, to, to A, are they a, a good fit with what you're trying to do on the rest of the field? And then are they also in form? I'm not really sure which one of those. But surely he's assessing that. Surely he's assessing I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. Surely he's assessing. I mean, surely if he starts Alex, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is coming to training and Gareth Southgate's either having a chat with him and saying, for some weird reason, you're my number one guy out on the, you know, right wing or whatever. Maybe you're the maybe he sees him as the sort of the right side of a central midfield, something like that. And he says, you know, go out there and do what you're doing in training. And then maybe there's some sort of mental game block there for Alex Oxlade because that's what it seems to look like. A lot of people seem to rate him. A lot of people say he's a great trainer. He's a great guy to have around. But if he's a great guy to have around, then Pepe Reina him and put him as the third choice goalkeeper. Do you know what I mean? Because it doesn't seem like. Uh, it, it, it's not like playing with 10 men, but it's non, it looks from the outside like an unusual decision. It is, of course, of course it is. I think, I think that's the problem, is that for a long time, uh, you could survive in the England squad because of where you were playing rather than how you were playing. Yeah. And I think, I think, I do, I think that's a, an issue that, that still dogs uh, the national team now. I, I don't think... Um, I mean, I remember many years ago when Jordan Henderson was playing up at Sunderland. I thought then he was good enough to get a look in, but he but he didn't. Um, there are players, I think, throughout the, the years. I think if Jamie Vardy doesn't win the Premier League, I don't think he has England caps to his name. Mm-hmm. And yet you would argue he's been one of the more consistent performers during the last 18 months um, mm. in an England shirt. It's not, it's, actually I mean, it's that, not a terrible point. The, the one, I think the one time they've looked actually... And not only uh, cohesive, but actually quite exciting, is that half an hour against Germany before Euro 2016. And in that period, uh, he is a big part of that. Vardy. It's, it's his performance that, that stands out for that's me. What, that's what's weird. That, so, well, that's why that, that didn't excite me at all, partly because Jamie Vardy was uh, one of the more exciting players in that. Um. I think I think that's the problem. You look at that thirty-minute period, and it sounds almost criminal to, to 
to deem that as if it's in any way acceptable. That is the period where England have looked most sure of what they're trying to do. And that's, that's, I mean, you could argue that's equally exciting as it is concerning because they Mm. haven't gone back to that. If anything, they've deviated from it quite consistently. Yeah, well, England find themselves qualified for the World Cup. So they have a long time now to work and maybe to test. And maybe that's partly why they've put this squad together with the likes of Winks, etc., etc. So they can maybe show those guys off. Um, Of course, uh, they have another fixture. um, But there are plenty of other fixtures also to discuss. Uh, Of course, uh, Germany also thrashed, I want to say, Northern Ireland 3-1. Uh, in Northern Ireland, they are, they almost have completely the opposite sort of um, situation to the situation that we find ourselves in uh, uh, in in England. Uh, there's elsewhere though there is problem or at least trouble, Chris, for Portugal. They find themselves on the verge of not going through. Argentina, arguably much bigger problems as well for them, and of course USA. Yeah, um, USA. I would. I mean, yeah, I would say so. USA are in the playoffs. I believe Portugal are also in the playoffs. Um, Argentina have a really crunch game against Peru Thursday night. Um, so as you listen to this, that'll have been decided, and you'll have a better grasp on on how things are going. Peru are taking absolutely no risks, though. Um, they're bringing their own water because they don't want it to be tampered with. Um, I think they had armed guards blocking training so no one could spy on them um, because Peru have a decent chance of going to the World Cup themselves um, and I think I'm saying this obviously before it kicks off I think they're going to try and go for a point I don't think they're going to try and take uh, all three so it's it's I mean it's crazy to think that theoretically the countries associated with the uh, the two best players in the world could potentially not be at the tournament if things go a little bit awry for them yeah it is a little bit unusual isn't it that that sort of the excitement of both those players right now um, being taken away from because well neither of them might be there um but yeah, let's let's see where it goes. Anyway, um, let's talk a little, uh, obviously, about Pascal Chimbonda. Yes, from the heights of international football all the way down to, uh, well, I think it's amateur football. I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's like amateur and non-league. Um, he signed for Washington FC. Um which is Washington is a small town in Sunderland or in the shadow of Sunderland. Um, and yeah, it's, it's actually a place I used to live. I uh, grew up there for about five, six years. So I know it fairly well. Um, I'm, I'm still not fully grasping why he chose to sign for them. Um, he was at Carlisle for a little bit uh, before he went back to France to play for all Avignon. Um, but even then it's an hour and 20 drive to, to Carlisle from Sunderland. Um, or from from Washington, excuse me. So, yeah, I'm really not sure on this. I'd be quite curious to ask him what what is motivating a 38 year old to to play at a, a very uh, low level of football. Maybe he just wants to to stay fresh. Um, but credit to to whoever put this, the announcement together because they've introduced him as the new singing. Oh God! Have they really? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, that's embarrassing, isn't it? Good guys, but a lot of people do that, though, don't they? People get excited. They type in the moment. They don't double check it. It's embarrassing. How old is he now? 
38. 38. So still sort of... Yeah, I mean, Not decrepit. <laughs> yeah, that's not something to put in your CV, is it? 38. More than you, not decrepit. Not decrepit. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but those of you who remember him from... Well, I'm, I suppose the most the, but the highest profile club he's been to is Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah, he was... He, he first came to prominence with Wigan. Uh, he was signed from Bastion. For, it was half a million pounds. Uh, then famously left Wigan. Wigan, I believe, were no, they weren't relegated. But the last day of the season, they played at Highbury. I think they were the last ever team to play at Highbury against Arsenal. And he had a transfer request written on a piece of paper in his shin guard or behind his shin guard. So as soon as they went in the changing rooms, Jimmy Bollard tells the story that he took the transfer request out, gave it to Paul Jewell, and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, he could have just left it in the locker, obviously. Weirdly, he sort of carried it around him with him for the full uh, full match, I guess. Yeah, I can't imagine that was too comfortable. I mean... Uh, well, I mean, I how, how long is a transfer is... request? Well, that's the thing. I don't know if our listeners will, will remember for Kondor Stava. Um, no, Chris, they won't. He was a, a, a striker that played for Fulham briefly. Um, and he used to carry a mask uh, in his, I believe it was in his underwear or in his shorts. And I always used to think that must be really uncomfortable to play with. Didn't someone used to do it with Fulham? That's exactly who I'm talking about. No, I thought it was someone else. No, it wasn't. His name wasn't Sava, was it? For, it was. I'm convinced it was Facundo Sava. Let me just triple check. I'm pretty sure. It, I always thought it was some sort of Nordic player, something like that. Uh, no. I'm looking at now. Yeah, he used to have a mask, black and white mask he would put on. Zorro-esque. Yeah, it was Zorro-esque. Full of masks. And obviously, Jonas Gutierrez used to carry a Spider-Man mask in his shorts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. All makes sense now. Fulham mask is what I've just typed, but I fear I'm going to bring up the wrong things. Uh, Probably not. And at this point, it's... It's almost uh, irrelevant. <laughs> Let's just stop the podcast just there for one second. Uh, we have uh, a sponsor, obviously, for the weekend uh, previews. There's no preview this week, but obviously the Q&As are sponsored by Fan League. Um, and obviously, if you guys want to go and play Fan League, it's fantastic. There's an app on the App Store. I've played it. I've played it on uh, friends' phones as well. Uh, Chris, have you played Fan League? I have. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, it is a predictor app. Um, essentially and, and that's what's great about it you can go you can join uh, a few different leagues and you can essentially get a pot of uh, there's a pot of money in the middle that um, you can win a share of uh, depending upon your results or um, a massive share of and there are big uh, pots of money there to win and obviously whatever I think whatever goes into it or uh, this is a good this is actually a really good thing 10% of any revenue fan league make goes to grassroots football and uh, obviously you can win and other people can, can win uh, through you sort of getting on the app and starting to do that. Uh, so not only are you sort of helping yourself, you're also going to be helping grassroots football. And the more people that you add into your own group and obviously our group as well, the bigger uh, the, the amount of help that we can offer um, Fan League and obviously therefore grassroots football. Um, I've, I think we've done pretty well so far on the podcast. We've sort of gotten, I think we got eight out of 13 in the first week. 
nine out of 13 at some point. Some people I know got, got 11 out of 13. We got 10 out of 13. Wow. Which yeah. actually, it's, it's, it's not terrible. It sort of shows how well we could do if we, if we keep sort of going with this one and how it isn't just sort of blind luck. Um, although those three would, we might say we got three wrong out of 13. Um, you, you guys obviously uh, can go and join us on there as well. You can find our league on there. Plus, we've also been asked to promote the £1,000 competition that's being run through Fan League as well. So you do have, you've got a chance to win uh, quite a share of money in there. Um, if, if you guys can beat us, we'll be interested to know. Of course, you have to be on the app in order to do so. Nico, you can't play along. Uh, but I think when you're in the UK, you, you then can. So when you do come over later yeah. in the year... Uh, I'll be more than happy to enter you into the league once you're in the UK, as long as that is, of course, legal and not breaking any rules. Of course. Yeah. Excited and, and looking forward to doing that. Great. Uh, go to the App Store, or I think we include a link in the description of the podcast. It's Fan League. It's simple. It's fun. Um, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it's good on the weekends. So enjoy it. Uh, come along. Join the front three on there. You can join our league, uh, and you'll have a great chance of winning a share of a lot of money in there as well. Um, it, just, just come along, have fun with us, and enjoy. Um, that, that's fun. League, back to the podcast. And Nico, we thought it'd be interesting to sort of um, talk to or chat between us about getting little updates on on people who are around Europe at the moment. Let's start in the Premier League. Um, any updates on Man City at this point? Like, let's sort of do a quick check up on them. Feeling good about them? Yeah, I think this is really the season-defining season, season defining period for them because obviously with the injury to Benjamin Mendy and only really one uh, fully fit left back, um, Danilo really only a placeholder there, more of a right center back or a right back fill-in or backup rather. Um, I think this winter period will honestly be the, the defining moment for them if Guardiola can get through that period uh, without any more injuries and you know with positive results uh, across the competitions that they want to succeed in, which is usually you know the Premier League and the Champions League. I think this is really where they show whether they're going to be champions or, or, or trophy holders or not at the end of the season. So I would say that this, as opposed to the latter stages of the season, is, is more important. Mm. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I genuinely, um, I still think there's a lot to go on. Um, obviously, and this is a lot of games still to go. And at this point in the season, I think last time didn't. Uh, I mean, it's something along the lines of Man City. Obviously, hadn't really stumbled yet. The right around now is when they were stumbling last season. So they played. They were. They won ten in a row across all competitions, and then they stumbled at Celtic. I think with a three-three draw. And then they lost to Spurs 2-0 and they lost six in a row. And it was sort of up and down from then on. And I think it, not more, I was saying, I was referencing, I, I guess, the more period ahead. So like November, uh, December-ish period. I think in that time where kind of everybody's almost playing three times a week across all the different competitions with the maybe lack of depth that they have at their more important positions behind. Um that's really where the difficulty is. And I've spoken about that in the last podcast with the changes that, that he's made with Fabian Delph and how he offers something different. It's obviously not like for like to Benjamin Mendy because he was such an offensive uh, uh, fullback and could offer that athleticism up and down the pitch. Um, he really comes more inside and acts as a central midfielder to try to get the best out of Leroy Sané. Um, but, you know, you don't want to play your most hectic period in schedule with only one player in a certain position especially one uh that's as key to the system as as fullback for Pep Guardiola so it'll be a, a, a you know the sort of game of rotation 
and, and tactical changes to, to put play, different players in those positions to, to try to share the minutes um, so that we, you know, we don't we, we try to get as few injuries as, as possible and sort of make it through the period without, uh, you know, better teams sort of figuring us out tactically. Wow. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot uh, certainly going on. Uh, Chris, one team I'm certainly interested in at this point in the season is Chelsea. Chelsea find themselves um, in. I mean, you know, obviously no one really finds themselves that far off the top of the table at this point. Um, but if you look at uh, maybe the perception of where Chelsea are right now after um, the, the tricky uh, loss to Man City, they're only six points off the top, and arguably one of the bigger challenges, just one point behind. I think they're one point behind Spurs at this point in the league. Um, do you do you think that with Alvaro Morata up front and uh, maybe some January signings, they can retain the title? Uh, to me, it feels like the title is, is won by the team that maintains its momentum. And I think the, the fact that Morata is, is potentially injured, which means you're going to have to now rely on Batuai for a little bit. Um, the squad itself... I think it could be deeper. That's that's an issue I have as well. Um, obviously, Jeremy Borger has come in and uh, played the, the opening day defeat to, to Burnley. But I, I would say outside of that, he's an unknown quantity in the Premier League. He, he had his moments with Granada. He was quite direct, quite aggressive, a good carry the ball. But you don't know what he's going to be like playing for Chelsea. Um, so I, I, I'm certainly not going to rule them out because that would be madness. But I think if I was having to put, to put money down on each team, I'd probably put a lot less on, on Chelsea just because I do think that with everything they've got going on with more competitions with a smaller squad I, I don't see where that momentum is, is really coming from at this stage I mean saying that you could have easily apply a lot of those statements to last season as well um, because I think that winning run that they had that was so influential in, in getting them the title did really come from nowhere mm. Oh, I mean, relatively nowhere, obviously, with everything that's gone up before that. But yeah, I see your point. Uh, let's go to, to Bundesliga, where there's a six-point gap, obviously, uh, Nico, between Dortmund and Bayern. Bayern... Uh, I mean, Bayern five are doing... Five-point gap. What? Five-point gap. Uh, sure, five-point gap. Um, they find them, Bayern find themselves in a an unusual position uh, with um, the sort of PR... Uh, they're, they're on the PR offensive at the moment whilst trying to basically show that they aren't, and this is the way that most journalists are sort of portraying it, a team which is uh, currently split into factions uh, in the dressing room and also ageing in maybe some of the wrong areas. Yeah, and I think it's obviously they never, they usually, especially in the past few seasons with Pep Guardiola, um, they usually don't find themselves within the position of being second uh, to a dominant Borussia Dortmund team at, at any stage in the season, really. Um, and I, I, it was funny because, you know, we have a, a great listener fan base that's really diverse in, in sort of the teams that they support. And I know we have quite a few Dortmund fans. So I asked one of them if maybe uh, if they won the title this season, if it would mean anything less to them, uh, considering this was a year where Bayern were, weren't really, you know, at the races as they usually are. Um and he said, he said no, he, he would enjoy the title all the same because, you know, a, a title's a title and, and Bayern have messed up in, in other areas and that's, you know, it's sort of this, it's still within, you know, the competition of running a club. Um, and so uh, at the same time, sort of within that train of thought, I think it's a, a really w- strange decision to go back to Jupp Hanks. Uh, it kind of smells of Nagelsmann next summer. 
Um, but it, it, it's strange because, you know, uh, his treble winning Byron team was probably one of my favorites. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. They were teams to watch because they were so dynamic, they were so physical, uh, and they destroyed Tito Villanova's um, by, uh, Barcelona team. In the Champions League, and that was like that was such a, a great moment to watch. After that team had dominated Europe for a number of years, um, but you know he's he's seventy seventy one years old, I think, so it's quite old for for being a manager, and, and he's been out of the game for a while. And I think it's one of those skills that does tend to to deteriorate um, ha- having not been in the game for a while. So it'll be interesting to see how they got on um, in this period. But obviously, they have the break, so maybe that will aid them in, in sort of getting his ideals. Uh, through as opposed to to Carlo Ancelotti's. Uh, yeah, I certainly had uh, had a lot of interesting things. I, I think Bayern have rushed uh, to the players' aid rather than uh, trying to maintain some sort of dignity when um, sacking a manager. It certainly uh, does seem like an unusual thing for Bayern to do. Um, it doesn't look great for them right now. Well, it didn't look great for them. And you sort of think the next manager, all he really has to do is run some training sessions and give them some sort of uh, rigidity or something to fashion the team around. But let's see. Um, let's talk a little bit about Serie A, uh, Chris. Uh, it, Na- I mean, Na- Na- Napoli and Sari just look uh, dream dreamlike sometimes. It, it is genuinely the best football in Europe. It is. Um And I think, for me personally, what makes it more interesting is his own backstory. I know that the team gets a lot of the focus, but I kind of like that. You know, he's he's spent years and years and years and years building to this point that he's not uh, a product of, of professional football. He was, a, I think, he worked in a bank. Um, he was a banker a ta- up until he was forty um, years old. And so, this is this is a little bit of a later in life pursuit for him, and yet he's able to produce this football. He's, he's Uh, you know, made Dries Mertens one of the most devastating forwards in European football, even though for the longest point he was a, a winger. And, and I mean, you know, I saw bits of him for PSV Eindhoven, less so for Utrecht. 
I, at no point did I see this level of production from Dries Mertens, let's mm. put it that way. Um, and I think when I watch them, again, more from a personal standpoint, I just really appreciate Jorginho um, in midfield. I appreciate that the likes of Hamsik and Callihan and and those players may get the headlines. But I think if you're looking for a midfielder who can pass between lines and spot... Um, you know, avenues with which to squeeze the ball through, then I, I think you're really hard pressed to look past him because he's just so good at it. And and again, much you could argue, much like uh, much like the coach, he's not someone that's that's come via um, a hugely illustrious pathway. If anything, he's you know from Verona to to Napoli. It's it's really not a huge uh, huge starting point for his career. Nico, you're obviously a big fan of what they're doing there as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably been some of the best football for for a year now, and and people are kind of catching on to that, and it's really good to see that everybody can appreciate that. But not only that, but you know they do have a, a nice little three point cushion on the usual champions uh, Juventus. I was going to say that is the, that is sort of the difference at this point, isn't it? Is that obviously they were in the chasing pack uh, before, whereas um, obviously now that they're the leaders. Yeah, and and sort of you know being within the journalistic uh, sphere of it, when certain things happen, like you kind of just uh, headlines just kind of fly uh, into your head, and and, I, and they recently won three two against a very small team off the coast. Uh, it was an I think it was an island team um, in Italy that that had been promoted to the to the first division due to some very good management um, with. The, I, I think the acronym SPAL is sort of their, their team name and they won 3-2 by uh, their left back Gulam scoring a brace and it was absolutely fantastic and it's those sort of moments that if they do end up winning the title this season it, it's those sort of games where SPAL had scored two goals against them in, in the most unusual of circumstances like a crazy free kick and then a mistake from one of the Napoli defenders and it was 2-2 up until sort of the, 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 the dying breaths of the game and you have to imagine that Napoli, you know, beating some of the bigger sides in, in Serie A, that's while they will do that this season. Um, and, and actually all of the big boys in Serie A face off uh, in the following weekend after the international break, um, which will be a, sort of a, a critical moment in the season. But you have to imagine that if Napoli do win the title, they, they won't it won't be in those big weekends. It'll be in, in weekends like that where they go to a very small stadium at its spell and win 3-2 and a deeply contested rainy night game where their left back scores a brace. I mean... I'm really excited to see the the progression that they've made from being, like you said, part of the chasing pack to being champions. And I think it's deserved, you know, that they're probably one of the most fantastic teams to watch, um, no matter who they play, not necessarily because of the, the personnel that they have, but because of the way they play. Um, so, you know, like I've, like I've, you know, waxed lyrically before about Sadia Napoli, uh, I will be doing again for the ringer. So if you guys want to check that out, it, it will be up soon. Certainly doing some good stuff over there. Um, Chris, let's move on to Liga just for just for a minute. Uh, obviously, with Liga, we see PSG actually being challenged, a li- uh, obviously, not only uh, on the pitch by uh, some of the great sides up at the top there, but um, also um, in terms of uh, in, in the table as well, because, you know, there, there is a chasing pack, um, a, a set of people who want to take them or knock them off the perch, I guess, would be a good turn of phrase to use. Yeah, I mean, Monaco is still up there. Um, it's nice to see Marseille up in third as well. I think that is, um, is good for French football. I mean, Lyon are, are closer to, to mid-table, which is is not great. And a little bit of a surprise to me in some ways, because I think there's 
a lot of talent in that team. Um, and non- I think Nantes in, aren't, really, time, uh, aren't really uh, realistically going to challenge for the entire season, are they? No, I, th- I think, I mean, saying that, I, th- I think it's beautiful to see Ranieri succeeding again. Um, it's it's a team that, while it does not concede goals, it doesn't really score goals either. Um, yeah. They've got the, the fewest goals scored of, of any team in the top half, and there's only actually, I think, two or three teams in the entire league that have scored less than them um, this season. So it's, yeah, it's it's very basic football in that sense. Um but I think, yeah, the, the the race or the excitement, if you're watching the French League, is Monaco and PSG. Um, it's the very differing schools of approach on how to, to build a club. You know, that was the, the interesting switch from Monaco was that, uh, you know, mentality whereby they originally uh, used to spend a boatload of money and then realised they couldn't. And Paris are, are the, the opposite now. They they do spend an insane amount. But I think the the continued resurgence of Falcao is always worth watching. Um, and it'll likely come down to when they meet each other. I, I don't think it'll be settled on, on random weeks at um, other clubs. Although saying that, I, I wasn't too impressed with, with PSG the last time I saw them. Uh, well, it's certainly been a bit of a, a journey for PSG. It, it, it looks less impressive um I mean, guess I guess in considering their demeanour and some of the stuff, that, other stuff that's gone on, but they are playing some great stuff at times on the pitch. Very often, they're taking um, teams who maybe just don't seem as equipped as they do apart, which sort of I don't, know, I don't quite understand the the excitement of that. I guess I guess in, if you do it in the Champions League, you know, maybe against a a rebelling Bayern Munich side, um, there's something a bit more impressive with that. But even then, you sort of think, well. We'll see, I guess. Chris? Sorry, what was the question? Well, I mean, it was just more of a statement. Uh, you know, it's less impressive when they're... We've said this before on the podcast, and maybe people have sort of picked up on the fact that we don't think League I is quite as competitive as some other leagues. But, um, you know, it, it does feel a little less impressive because... Uh, it's it's PSG and sort of the money and all those sort of things, and maybe the way, or maybe also the way they've conducted themselves over the the summertime, and and apparently PSG also said when Barcelona or were going through the whole um, are still going through the whole Catalonia situation, um, they said they wouldn't be welcome in in the, the league. Yeah, I, th- I think I mean that's the problem is the PSG spending is cast alongside the fact that clubs in France, for the most part, don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, they have, in my opinion at least, been selling clubs. Um, and so, so it, it almost leaves a sour taste in the mouth because it feels so ostentatious, the level of spending. The fact that you know it wasn't just Neymar, they, they've bought Mbappe as well, who I know they don't have to pay for now. But still, it's a, close to a half a billion pounds worth of attack, yeah. which it's just, it, it does, it's a probably feels a little bit sickening when you have to play them and and you realise that your team probably didn't even cost half of, of one of those players. I suppose it's also an incredible challenge, but then, yeah, there are other aspects to that. Um, let's move on to arguably two of the biggest teams in Europe right now, uh, Hashtag United and uh, Tekkers Town. Uh, they meet is in a friendly on Saturday, three o'clock at Wembley Stadium, UK. Uh Chris, this is incredibly exciting as a tie for you. 
um, because you know and have watched so many of the people in this game for you. And it is actually, I guess it is, a, in terms of YouTube, I'm sort of uh, being uh, a, bit, um, uh, a little bit sarcastic there, but, uh, you know, it is it is an exciting tie for a lot of people who are maybe excited about the future of football and maybe what the likes of Hashtag United, Town, and this sort of thing prove in terms of fan interaction and sort of involving people more directly in the pitch, you know, and what goes on and off it. Well, that and the fact that one of my best mates is commentating. Um, I didn't realise you liked Brian so much, but all right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's yeah, it's great to, to see him succeed as well. You know, given what he's uh, what he's come from and what he's made of his career, I think he's he's done tremendously well. It's th- there was an interesting um, conversation I had in the summer, actually, or was it the summer? Yeah, I think it was the summer um, about hashtag and, and the way that their increased growth has kind of evolved the demands or the expectations of their fan base. So I think now you have a, a fan base that looks at hashtags games through much more of a, a critical and analytical lens in so much as they'll watch the game and they'll say, you know, Spencer, I think you did really well here, but I think you should have done this here. Yeah. Or have you considered switching to a three-five-two? Or Whereas I think before, and I know Spencer's talked about the influencers on, the, on this um whole endeavour, the fashion FCs and those kind of things. Um, I think without him trying or without him pushing it in that direction necessarily, it has become as close to a professional endeavour as, as you're going to get without them being in an official league because the supporters now or the, the followers, whichever uh, adjective you want to apply, now view it as that. They view it as a team that even if they don't have an investment in financially, they still are able to to contribute have an opinion on just as if they were watching a Liverpool game or a Man United game yeah no, that's a very good point actually um, and it, it obviously it's obviously it's all um, very much more um, evidently constructed so there's a lot there you know there's a lot more of a constructive feel around it because obviously people have to organize games in a very different way to the way they do in the Premier League and every one of these teams that's put together will have a bit of a um, a different construction, and obviously Tekistown is no different. But um, you know those, guys, you know those guys are the F two leading that. Uh, there's legends on both teams as well. Uh, uh, you know, there's a defender, midfielder, and striker in each side. It just turned out that way. Honestly, we, I was there filming when they won the legends for both teams, um, and it, you know, we, it just so happened that they both got a defender, a midfielder, and a striker. Um, it, it was interesting. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because obviously, um, you know, both both of these teams and both both sets of players, you wouldn't if you're maybe if you're a conventional football fan, you wouldn't necessarily have the um, the interest in either. But there is an interesting factor as well, Chris, is sort of seeing normal people play in such a high pressure game. And when I say normal people, I mean someone that's not a professional athlete in that sense. Yeah, I, th- I think to watch them. Uh, be put through a lot of the the, the sort of infrastructure, if you will, the, the professionals get to to sample. I think that makes for an interesting experiment in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, of course, the, there's a huge element of this that I think, de- depending on your perspective, is either uh, envious or kind of congratulatory to the fact that 
whether you know whether the legends remember this game for the rest of their lives or not for those playing alongside them this will be a huge life event for them this is people they've grown up with and i defy anyone who would be presented that opportunity turn it down because it's it is a once in a lifetime experience and and i see why it means so much to all those involved because not just in the digital age i think personally you want to be able to to go to sleep at night and think you know i gave everything i could to that game and did everything i could it's it's fitting that it's called the wembley cup because to me it is it's a cup final in so many ways even even if it's not a tournament like the fa cup or whatever it it still has a lot of the uh permutations i think in terms of uh, of legacy and things like that yeah certainly is an interesting one uh nico do you have any views i mean have you seen any of the wembley cup series I have not, unfortunately. Um, but it sounds it sounds re- really exciting. So I'm excited. I think I didn't keep track of it last year, but obviously I'm excited to support you and, and Brian, who, who did some great work uh, last year as well. And, and it's going to be fun to watch. Thank you. Uh, any predictions, Chris? Because obviously when, uh, when we get to the Wembley Cup this year, we've got um, Hashtag United, who were not there last year. It was uh, Spencer's constructed team against I think it was Weller Wanderers last year and this year of course it, they're against Tekkers Town which is a team put together by the F2 and they've got uh, I think they've they've got three great legends in there Stephen Gerrard's playing in their midfield Emil Heskey's up front they've got definitely got a defender I can't remember who um, but they've definitely got a defender in there uh, so it's going to be interesting uh, sorry they've got David James uh, so he's sort of a defender I guess I think I, that's the thing in predicting it. I think the interesting thing is the the difference in both teams. So, and I think Spencer has, has spoken to this this end before that for him, it, the hashtag have the cohesiveness, the understanding, the 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 momentum, if you will, of playing together as a team and knowing how certain players like the ball, the little nuances that comes with team play, whereas. I would say the F2, there's an unpredictable element with them. I think if you watch, yeah. uh, might be the first Wembley Cup. I, I think it's fair to say that, that Jeremy and, and Billy, obviously Billy won't be playing sadly, but Jeremy and Billy really did run the show and, and kind of had a lot of fun during that game and their, their quality shone from, from pretty much start to finish. It's the kind of moments that, that can change a game. And I think... There's not really, from what I've seen of of the the squads that are, or the elevens that have been named, there's not a slouch in amongst that um, Techers Town team. So it, it could be, I think, come down to to moments and and you know even the greatest teams in the world can be undone by a moment of individual brilliance, which I think is uh, is always likely with Techers Town. Well, well, you might you might have been listening to this uh, thinking you didn't know any of the terms that were going out there. But uh, if you feel so inclined, go on YouTube on Sunday, uh, sorry, Saturday uh, at uh, probably about 2.30. I think there's a live show from about then uh, building up to everything that's going to be happening. I'll be, I think I'm uh, presenting that with uh, the team of people there, including Brian and uh, weirdly Mark Bright um, and uh, Saunders, who's uh, Spencer's. Uh, brother and they'll be pitch side chatting to the players and um also getting the insights on you know what it's like as an experience on that day they've sold a lot of tickets i think uh, thirty-five thousand are now sold in wembley which is pretty impressive in the first place um so it's a big event uh, and there's a lot uh, going on there and i think there's it's like chris was saying earlier there's something which is experimental about it which which makes it quite interesting which is maybe why we spent 
so long talking about it here um, and I'll also be commentating on it so if you do just want to come support us in the first place or see what we're doing uh, with the other spare time that we have come along and do that uh, let's move on to your questions now some good questions here um, we, we will start with Luke Dorr who uh, is Black Shadow 179 he says if Jack Harrison continues his MLS form into the England under 21s um could he still? Could we see a new wave of young English players playing abroad? Now, Chris, this is something I meant to ask you earlier in the week about Jack breaking into the England setup here. Thoughts on that mm-hmm. in the first place? Uh, I would say deserved. Yeah, I would. I, th- I think that was the difficulty Jack faced is that um, England had watched him for a while, but the problem is, is that it's a, a fairly arduous thing to go and and see an MLS game and it requires a decent commitment so if he didn't perform in that game you know it probably reduces his chances I think he's, I see, he's yeah. had a bit of fortune getting in there but I think honestly it's 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 richly deserved for him and, I, and as much as I like to, to be objective in these kind of things having spoken to him and, and knowing him a little bit I think he yeah, is he's, he's a great lad and he'll not be out of place there I think lovely that's great um and he, he obviously is, he's actually a very talented player as well. He's, he's not just, he is here sort of on merit, not just sort of um, out of experimental, sort of experimenting or having the chance to experiment, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think, you know, Luke's question is is uh, is an interesting one because I think it raises a good point, which is Jack obviously got the, the scholarship to, to go over there um, and was at Manchester United in his youth. And I think if you look at the situation he's put himself in with this career that he's had so far, he's played alongside Frank Lampard, David Villa is a teammate, Pelo is a teammate, he's playing regular football, you can question the level as, as much as you like, but he's playing regular football at a fairly decent standard, and so I think at, at that point um, you have to think there'll be other Englishmen who look at that and think, you know what, that appeals to me more than mm. dropping down to League One or League Two and, and trying to battle my way through things. Certainly it's like especially if you can go to a great city like New York or LA or I suppose there's a load of great cities. You can even go to Minnesota, you've probably got a really great, interesting city there. Um there's there's lots of interesting places to go in the States. Um so uh, would your answer be yes, Chris, or do you think that Jack is very much a sort of um a, a one off in that sense because we haven't seen that trend being set and he has been over there for quite some time. I think following the exact same route that he does, or he has, excuse me, I think that will will not be repeated. No, because his was his was more about his life than I'm going to go to America and try and crack it. It was yeah, more yeah. his mom pushing him to do it. Um, whether we see more Englishmen of his age take to MLS, I think that's. I think honestly, that's already happening. And and I've spoken to enough of the guys that that organise those trials for for college scholarships and such like who say the, the standard of player that is now interested is improving year on year. Nico, how about this? Um, come to you because you've got a good broad knowledge of Europe. Who do you think will be the top three scorers in Europe? That's uh, from Mark Hardingham. Top three scorers in Europe this season. Yeah. I probably would be inclined to say Cavani will be amongst them. Even though he's uh, going to be giving away the, the penalties. Yes. Right. Um, 
I because you know we, we talked about it last week a little bit. The, you know they 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 represent some form of like a Harlem Globe Trotters uh, in Liga. And while I don't necessarily completely agree with the the comparison, I think they will score a lot of goals. They're a very fun team to watch. So I think Cavani, Kane will definitely be among them, uh, and then. I think Ronaldo will be it will be more of an assist season for him. So Messi being, you know, because I think uh, someone wrote something about how he is changing his game a little bit under their new manager. And I think he's going to have another one of those brilliant scoring seasons, as he always does, but possibly even even more brilliant than before. Um, so, yeah, those those would be my top three. Cavani, Messi and uh, and Harry Kane. A pretty diverse three as well um, in terms of background as well um, Stuart Barnes asks you one, uh, this one Kristen what do you make of Harry Redknapp going to Yeovil as an advisor to Darren Way the manager as a Yeovil fan I'm hoping he'll be <laughs> he'll be a big help good luck uh, I believe he's done this a fair few times in fact I think that's how he started at Birmingham didn't he as an advisor um mm. Uh, it's honestly I can't say whether it'll be good or bad because I don't know what advice he's given or in specifically uh, in which aspect of the club he is providing that advice that's the thing it's a tricky one isn't it in that sense we, we don't know exactly what he's doing when he's going into the club but we haven't necessarily seen an upturn in any club's fortune he's been in fairly recently I assume it's not accounting let's put it that way uh, I- Akshay says, uh, who should Manchester United sign in the summer? Dybala, Griezmann, no or, one. or Becky <laughs> Stop signing, please. Um, Dybala, <laughs> Griezmann, or Bale? This one goes uh, to you, Hinika. I mean, Dybala seems so like he, most... He, he, gave, yeah. he gave the options of Dybala, Griezmann, Dybala, or Bale. Griezmann, or Bale, yeah. Wow, I mean, that, that is... That, why would they sign any of those? That's a, that's a really stupid answer, Hinika. Um not, not, not that they're not good, but like, do they, like Chris said, do they really need more attacking options? I, I mean, mean Gr- Gr- Griezmann's definitely one that you would say would would fit in. But probably. then, what about Rashford? But the, but he's not Griezmann's not going to play in off the left, is he? He's going to play behind whoever's up top, which will probably be Lukaku. But then you wonder so you where think be a partnership goes. of of Lukaku and, and Griezmann. Uh, I think it'll still be a front one with like I, I maybe like a. A floating 10? Maybe, I, I think the thought with Griezmann would maybe be like reminiscent of that inter side where he maybe is like more of a winger and like he puts in a lot of work for Atletico Madrid so that would be more of a defensive winger and obviously he has that incredible output that, but then you're kind of wasting because he is, he is, he does have an incredible conversion rate and that is shown to be consistent. But what, 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 um, but so, what, about, what about then maybe Dybala and uh, I did, That's what I was about to Lukaku? say is that I don't think Dybala... I don't think Dybala would work very well in a Mourinho at all. I think he's. I. I don't. I would be surprised if they ever sort of worked together in 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 Why? in their careers. Because I, I think he's the type of player that wouldn't thrive under the managerial style, the personal managerial style of someone like Jose Mourinho. Because yeah. um, I think with Max Allegri, they they have taken very special precautions with Dybala and and how the way that the way that they treat him. And I think. Putting him in sort of a volatile situation, you know, with, with Mourinho, uh, you know, being very, uh, I guess, cold shouldery, depending on the, the type of uh, performances that you put in. Um, Dybala can be sort of temperamental and inconsistent in, in the way that he plays. And it requires, I think, uh, more of a, you know, a cliche of, you know, put your arm around him mm. uh, with Max Allegri um, than, it, than it is, you know perform for me or else or nothing else well um, i mean I, I mean he's not uh, to be fair Mourinho hasn't 
has rarely treated the people they've paid massive money for in that way. Um, you know, I mean, maybe. But Luke Shaw, say, I mean, he's one of the most expensive uh, defenders that they uh, but, that but they on, have on the, the club, sliding the scale of one to eighty-nine million. He's sort of he's he's a mid-spend, really, isn't he now? Yeah, but I would I would say that his his relationship with players isn't it. So he had a falling out with Sergio Ramos, and 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 although yeah, they didn't spend a lot for uh, Ica Casillas. You know, he he didn't have a great relationship with him, and he was a really good goalkeeper at the time. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's more about him, and I would hate to see. I, I would hate to see Dybala under Mourinho, not because I don't like Mourinho. Yeah. I think he's a very good manager, but I just I don't think it would be a good combination D- for D- either of them. Dybala's also said he wants to build something at Juventus. At least I think he said that the last time he was quoted on it. And, and then obviously Bale, Bale does sort of solve a few problems for them, doesn't he? Because as much as he's been playing on the left, it would mean some sort of positional rotation with the likes of someone like Rashford. Maybe Bale could be put out on the right and do the whole cut-in thing. You know, he's a very yeah, and I think, focused I think player. with Bale... Yeah, and I think with Bale, especially with the, the the type of injuries that he's been facing, sort of niggling injuries and and those things in a rotational Manchester United squad, that could be really beneficial for the longevity of his career. So if he went to Manchester United, you know, he could have he could play in whatever position he wanted to, have more of a free role in a in a, in a very counter attacking oriented team, and then get the rest he needs to stay healthy for a, a year yeah. and and be really we could see the best of Bale again in the Premier League, which I think everyone would really want to see. So go on. Who would you? With that being said, I think I think Gareth Bale. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I I've got to admit, I, I, all three are sort of exciting signings, um, but, but but Bale maybe maybe want Griezmann just because it's been so long. Oh, I don't really know. It's, it's tricky. Bale, Bale's probably my choice as well. Um, can you explain, Kristen, the entire the entire and I mean entire Kronky uh, Usmanov situation? Is there a real issue, or is it just delusional fans? Uh, that's a very barbed uh, question, and m- the media making the most of it. Sorry, could you repeat the question? You cut off for a second. G- okay, sure. Are you taking the piss? Um, can you explain the entire Kronky Usmanov situation? Uh. From from what I understand, um, one wants to buy the majority of the shares, um, but the other doesn't because it's a fairly lucrative financial position for him to be in. Um, because obviously, <coughs> excuse me, Arsenal are in no danger of being relegated. Um, they finish within the top six, let's say, every season, um, and so yeah, that that means that he's not necessarily desperate to to spend money. I think he has been taking a salary here a number of years as well of about three million. So yeah, it's clearly financially beneficial for him. Um, I think it's naive to just blame him personally. I think as with all these types of scenarios, there are a lot of moving parts and actually a lot of blame to be attributed. Um, and I don't think a change of owner suddenly changes the way in which that club operates or elevates them to, to anything uh, different to what they're in right now. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, th- I think a lot of people do just want to capitalise and get some headlines as well, don't they? Um, but that's... Uh, I hate to be that cynical. Um, what is... Uh, Chris, this is probably another question for you here. What is the secret to London City's dominance this season? Uh... Uh, I would say, having watched a number of our games, 
I would say we've got some really good fast outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, Millard, uh, Leroy, really good examples. Elliot. You're quite, you're quite Elliot. You're quite quick across the grass as well. But then I think what's helped us is Aaron coming in and then giving us some stability on the ball alongside the likes of Adam. Um, a, a, a regular goalkeeper gives us a bit more structure. And I think in those kind of games, if you can transition really quick, you're always on to a winner, really. And I think the first season, it was just working out the kinks. Whereas this season, we've uh, we've got a lot more fluency between the lads. Definitely a lot more fluency in that team. And if you like or watch Next Level Football uh, with Aaron on London City side, you should just know that Aaron is also just a stand-up kid and a really nice guy. Um, and a, a pleasure to have around the team in the first place. I think he's sort of, he's just a, he's just a cool guy. Um, la, I want to pick out a good last question here. Um, sure. Um, this is an interesting one. I know it's uh, usually one question per person, but a secondary question is, what did you all make of Azard's mimicking of Sterling? We sort of covered this in a previous podcast, but um, what, did, what do you guys make of the sort of players making fun of each other Kind of thing, because Hazard clearly is. Uh, it's, it's clearly Raheem Sterling. He's, he's making fun of there, isn't it? Isn't it, Chris? I mean, it looks like it for all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't personally. I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, I think if right. you've ever been around, um, if you've ever, because the thing is, he's making fun of his technique. Yeah. Um, and I think if if you've ever been around footballers. At, at any professional level whether it's premier league or like you know conference or whatever like they do that shit a lot like they they constantly take the piss out of each other mm. of not just opposition players but like their own teammates and also and it is a very um jokey culture um i can see why that is tough for some players because it can feel like bullying a lot of the time but yeah they, they're constantly ripping the the pee out of each other so i'm not at all surprised to see hazard um do that and i, I don't think there's anything offensive in it and i think it's I'm not gonna lie i thought it was pretty funny to be to be quite frank yeah it's sort of an unusual one isn't it because i think a lot of people uh, maybe wanted to be outraged by what was going on um but it's very difficult to be uh especially when it's sort of filmed from a distance it sort of almost looks like some sort of voyeurs filming him through some bushes which is a little bit unusual as well it's, it sort of feels a bit like a joke that you weren't meant to be part of um but of course, ultimately, uh, we're all part of that joke at Chelsea. Um, it's been it's been good to have you guys on on this week's podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, we if you've got any more questions, we'd love to hear them, and we can integrate them uh, into. We'll probably do another Q and A post weekend because of the international break, and uh, there's not a lack of headlines, but there certainly is a, a lot to come. If you want to see us covering something from international football, maybe getting our views on that, we'd be interested uh, to know that as well. Um, and you, of course, can tweet us at the front three, or you can tweet us all individually. The uh, the ads are in the description. And uh, Chris, if people want to reach you, they can get you on K Henage, which is K H E N E A G E, right? Correct. And Nico or Nick, as we we might call you, uh, what would you rather be called, Nico or Nick? Uh, whatever floats your boat. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, where can people get you on Twitter? They can find me uh, at the front three. Wow. Okay. Wow. He's, he's really getting into this group thing. Uh, you will find Adam and Dave uh, here on the weekend. Most probably slash hopefully. Um, and we'll see you again real soon right here on TF3.